Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Keeping It Real, your IGM Movies podcast. This is Moro filling in for Stax this week. Little Stax, he ran away. I'm back in the chair. <laughs> With me, as always, is Chris Carl. Howdy do, guys. Uh, and ladies. So let's get right into it. Um, oh, God of Thunder. Jim is off at a set visit. Yes, indeed. That's uh, why he's not joining us today. Yeah, it's so not that he's just whining and crying in a corner. <laughs> so we're not going to hear his clever segues or his... Uh, or his new sign-off. Exactly. But exactly. we'll come up with something. But I will I will uh, borrow from the headline that he used for his box office, uh, weekend box office story, which I think it was like God of Thunder on top of box office or something like that. Yeah, Thor is Thor, God of the box Thor, office. Thor, God of the box office. That's what it is. And it indeed was. Uh, Thor at number one at $66 million. Yeah, and if we uh, kind of review what we had last week, it looks like, uh, Eric, you were closest with 72. I said 80 because I had a Thor boner after <laughs> after seeing it. I, I got really excited about that movie. Um, I, I, I should note that I uh, was in the screening with Chris Carl sitting right next to him when we were watching it. And every so often he would decidedly look at me and like nod you know, approvingly of what was happening on stage. It's true. It's true. I did. I did do a lot of silent nodding and uh, you know, it's, it's uh, it kicks off the movies, the movie season for me. I actually, unfortunately didn't see fast five, which for people who know me is like a complete, how did that happen? <laughs> but, um, it kicked off some movies, movies for me. Um, and, and it's also the first movie this year that I've really wanted to go back and see again mm-hmm. in the theater. Um, mainly cause I want to go see it in 2d, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. We we saw it in 3D, which, um, you know, again, it's a whole concept of, you know, a movie that wasn't shot in 3D, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it still was great. I still had a good time with it. But, yeah, I'm kind of with you. Like, I don't think seeing it in 3D made it any kind of better experience for me. One thing I think was really good about this 3D, especially being a conversion, is that the color didn't look washed out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could be, like, where we went to see it or whatever. But, um I felt like it maintained crispness, and it was it really, really maintained color. Like where, you know, something like Alice in Wonderland, I saw that, and I was like, wow, they really like the colors got all muted. And sometimes, yeah. you know, 3D makes everything darker. Yeah. Well, I felt it was a little darker. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I actually thought like it popped a lot, for, a lot more for me than than other, especially converted 3D movies. That that said, I want to see it in 2D because I feel like there are a couple moments that looked a little like diorama esque, you yeah, know, a little cheesy, yeah. like Loki, um some of the Loki stuff. Uh, I don't I won't spoil the movie, but uh yeah. Well uh we were also correct at predicting uh the number two film, although we were off with the the amount. Uh Fast Five came in at number two at thirty two point five million. Yeah, which is a, a a big dip for that movie. Yeah. But uh you know I I think I think maybe the the box office wasn't as strong as we thought it would be across the board, obviously. Um, but Fast Five, uh, you know, that's that's respectable second weekend. <laughs> a lot of movies don't even open at that. Oh yeah. I kind of want to go back to Thor a little bit and talk about um, sixty six million. Is that enough right there in opening weekend for a sequel? I mean, they've already mm-hmm. said yes to the sequel, right? Or, or I don't know if they've like confirmed it, but they've said, right. you know, we've got writers attached that right. are working on a script. Yeah, and you know, number one is sixty-six million. I mean, I, I suspect the answer is yes because internationally it's done very well, and you know, there's still a lot of summer left yeah. to to get more money uh, to this movie. But what do you think? You know, I'd be curious to find out how much it costs to make the film. I don't think, um, I mean, aside from Natalie Portman, who even at the time that she shot it, 
you know, she's big now because of Black Swan and, and, and the Oscar, but, you know, that was all after she did her work for Thor. So, I mean, maybe it didn't have, I mean, maybe it made its money back, you yeah. know? I mean, all the money was in the effects, and I think the effects did look really, really good. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. um, who, it just was like one of the better looking superhero effects movies I've seen. And it had a lot to do too, you know, all of Asgard, you know, a lot of full creatures. Yeah. Um, and you know how some people are complaining about the cartoony look of green lantern. I didn't feel like that was a, a knock on this movie. You, you, you weren't hearing people talk about that. Yeah. Part of that's due to the fact that the destroyer is, you know, not human. And mm-hmm. the, 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 um, Ice giants are not human. They're humanoid. Right. You know, I was wondering, um, and maybe you as a Thor fan know this, and if not, maybe one of our our listeners knows this. uh, The Destroyer in the comics, is he, or is it, I should say, not a person? Or, I mean, because the way it comes across in the film, it's almost like an Asgardian mechanical creation, like a robot kind of. Do you know in the comics? I, I followed like Thor very, very for a very short amount of time. It was pretty much while I was reviewing those comics, mm. and like I, I think it started off as many people did in the Marvel mythology, thinking Thor was kind of a joke. Mm. Um, and then I actually started digging into the mythology a little bit and started like actually reading some books with Thor in it. And I was like, okay, this guy's pretty cool, and I love Beta Ray Bill. Yeah, um, stuff. But Destroyer to me, I think he's meant to be some kind of like golem, you know, like he just kind of walks around and he's this big, you know, kind of destroyer force. Um, but I don't have like the full take on the destroyer story. So if somebody, you know, who's listening wants to fill us in on that, you know, feel free to put it in the comments of this article or, you know, write, write us back at keeping it real at IGN.com. We'll, we'll talk about it the next podcast. If yeah. We, if, if your email is any good. And if you, <laughs> and if you haven't checked it out yet, um, we ran a feature this week on movies as well. Um, six things we want to see in Thor two and, you know, picking up on a couple of the biggies, um, uh, from past stories like Baldur the Brave yeah. and Scourge the the Executioner. So so check it out and uh, comment on that as well and let us know what you think. Am I wrong or did we see the Infinity Gauntlet at, we at, saw it at Comic-Con, Comic-Con last year? Yeah, we saw it at Comic-Con. But I think, again, so uh, I remember <laughs> it, was, it was crazy because I remember last year at Comic-Con that the big Marvel – kind of presence was Odin's throne room, right. his throne, and they had like a glass case uh, in front of it, and they would cover it up, and like at designated hours throughout the show, they would uncover it and reveal some sort of prop, and so I remember certain editors were all a-buzzing about this, right? Like, oh my goodness, the, you know, the Loki's, Loki's helmet was shown. And, I mean, it's cool. Don't get me wrong. It was very cool. Rich George. And, yeah. And at the very end of the show, you know, the throne, uh, the wall behind it opened up and revealed the destroyer uh, armor. So that was kind of cool. But at one of the revealings was the Infinity Gauntlet. Yes. And I remember saying to this particular editor who was like, I believe that that's going to be the villain in Avengers. I put, I'll stake my job on it. And, I, and I'm like, guess you know, what, buddy? <laughs> you're fired. <laughs> no, no, I don't necessarily think that those, nobody ever said that these are all movie props. You know what I mean? I, like that is disingenuous though. If you're going to roll out a bunch of movie props and then throw the infinity gauntlet uh, in there, that's, that's dirty trickery. Right. Marvel. Or, or here's another theory or because there is the scene of um, 
Odin's throne room. I mean, if you've seen the film, it's when uh, the ice giants kind of sneak into it at the beginning of the film, and they're trying to get the the casket that that right. belonged to them a long time ago. And there's this slow pan of various kind of different that's weapons, true. right? And we haven't like really gotten a close up look at all that stuff. I was trying to pay attention because I thought that's where it would be. I didn't see it, but maybe it, a maybe it was there, or b maybe it got cut. Maybe yeah, it was possible. used and it got cut. Possible. You know? I mean, let, let's let's just state the obvious that if there is a Thor two or a Thor three, we're going to see that thing eventually. Yeah, I think so. But my concern, my, I mean, specifically why I didn't think it'd be in an Avengers is because if you if you use the Infinity Gauntlet. You have to use Thanos, and that which is, is badass. Th- yeah, but that's such an out there character. I mean, that's full blown cosmic now. I think you know. I, I want to see that though. Like, if the only way we're going to move into that realm in the Marvel universe is to expand it in something that people already understand, right? So, Thor is now. You know, I think we can call it a success. You know, it's a right. critical success, success internationally, um, and then domestically now, decent opening weekend. So now it becomes the vehicle that you can introduce things like Thanos. You know, introduce more cosmic elements into into the Marvel universe and and spin up movies that that are a little bit more out there. Because I think this movie was actually a risk. I think it was a little out there, and I think only through kind of the direction of Branna. Was it like reined into a point where it was actually like okay now we can, now we can play in this world. Right, right, right. All right. Well, you know what? I'm going to take this opportunity, this conversation, to jump into real quick a first uh, reader email. Um, and since I'm running the podcast today, I'm in control here. This one's from <laughs> Neil Neil Garcia, and the subject line is, "Oh, great and powerful Moro." What does the future hold for Marvel and its movies? Oh, my God. (laughs) You just read that one because it said, oh, great, powerful Moro. So here's his email. Hey, gang. Love the podcast. I've been a longtime listener, and and though I enjoy the witty banter and top-notch entertainment reporting you all provide. Megatron. I got to give it up for Eric Moro. Uh-oh. Oh, Oh, damn. How are you reading this reader email? Uh, It just came through my my inbox, It just sounds like... (laughs) My cousin, Neil Garcia, wrote this. Uh, No. After seeing Thor, I'm convinced his theory on Banner being possessed by Loki at the end of The Incredible Hulk has to be 100% accurate. It would be a perfect thread to link all of these movies together, even if it meant that they may need to read shoot that scene to make the Ruffalo Banner character fit. Now, why do you think that? Be- okay. Uh, if you're listening and you have not seen Thor yet, because it, it has to do with the post-credit sequence. So if you haven't seen Thor yet, uh, tune out for the next two minutes here. Okay. So the post-credit sequence, remember we see Nick Fury speaking with uh, the Stellan Skarsgård character about the cube. Right. And no, I mean I know what happens at the end of the movie. I'm just saying like how how does everybody th- how Oh, do because think- then in the glass, remember you see Loki and and it's like basically the implication is that he's possessed Stellan Skarsgård because No, I get that. I'm saying like how does that tie into to Hulk? You're oh. saying he possesses Hulk because Ed- Edward Norton at the end of Yeah, the Hulk because film. remember at the end he's meditating and he's got his eyes closed, and all of a sudden he opens them, and his eyes are green like he's going to transform, but he has this like really creepy like smile on his face, almost like... You know? That would be like amazing for planning on their part, <laughs> but I don't think that's the case. I think what that meant at the end of Incredible Hulk is that he woke up and realized, I finally have control of this power. Well, that, you know, and that 
is this like people are speculating all those things i think that the purpose of that was to get people talking yeah i mean uh, if that is the case then you know i'm gonna give a slow clap right there for the marvel <laughs> because that would be really good um that would be really really good you know kind of forethought for all yeah. how all these movies fit together yeah. Well, so to continue to continue his email, he says, what else uh, do you guys see coming in Cap and the Avengers or even post-Avengers? I'm hoping in the Avengers there's a scene where Cap picks up um, Mjolnir and tosses it back to Thor. Thanks, guys. Keep on keeping it real. So okay, like so another – like what kind of other little fun – So he's he's implying that Cap can also wield the hammer. Right. Um, I – you know, I think what they want to do is probably keep that hammer mythology tied to Thor. That mm-hmm. would be my guess because it's it's they made such a big deal out of it in the Thor movie. And I think, you know, like a throwaway piece like that in the Avengers movie might not impact everybody. You mm-hmm. know, it might just be like, oh, hey, here's your hammer back. You know, I don't know. I, what I think would be even more cool, to be honest with you, and it ties into uh, another uh, – reader email we got from uh i'll just say his name i won't read it josh uh, gallegos mm-hmm. um but it'd be cool to see like in an avengers movie like some throwaway line where like you know cap or, or tony stark is like i mean come on there's a ton of us out here you know some kid gets bit by radioactive spider he's crawling on walls now and you know Little fun things where they can't use Spider-Man because they don't own the rights to him, but doesn't mean they can't, like, yet. reference it in a – yeah, exactly, <laughs> yet. Reference it in kind of an ambiguous way, but, right. you know, that shows that these characters kind of really do live in the same universe. Uh, yeah, I, I think um, at some point they're going to have to start addressing those things because now the world of the Avengers is pretty big. You know, the, mm. it encompasses a lot of heroes, and now, you know, it's almost like how can you – exist in this world of expanded Marvel characters and not give a shout out to the X-Men and Spider-Man and some of these other properties that exist elsewhere. But I think, you know, you have to do it in a way that doesn't directly reference those characters. So, you know, you're hired as screenwriter, buddy. You, you've got the job. <laughs> um, that was, I mean, I think that's a good way to present something like that. Cool, cool. He also writes at the end, also before I forget, I live in Toronto, Canada, and one of our national lotteries is up to $25 million. Uh, Moro, any advice on what numbers I should play? Probably the loss numbers, dude. Yeah, exactly. That's what I would do. When, when all else fails, go with lost. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, it, it, it's always they're always statistically saying that you're better off letting the computer randomize it. But I'll tell you this, man. If you won using the loss numbers, there would be <laughs> <laughs> that would be a story for the ages. Exactly. That would be pretty crazy. So keep playing those numbers, guys. All right, so uh, another reader email that's actually going to lead in, us into our first news item that we're going to s- discuss. Who and are this you, one, Stacks? I know, right? This one is from uh, Shorter Marcus. That's his handle. Uh, hey, guys, I'm Marcus, and I love the podcast. Hearing Eric say Spider-Man is his favorite uh, superhero, parentheses, great taste, great taste, <laughs> got yeah. me thinking. Uh, they finished, finished filming in Cali weeks ago, and the film is officially about to wrap in New York City. And I'm sure IGN did a set visit. So while I know you can't give any major details because of an embargo and just good business, 
Can you give us anything spider, Spidey-related? Thanks. I think the only Spidey-related thing we've heard lately is or seen anything was the spy photos of um, Dylan Baker's hand, right? Right. So uh, it's not Dylan Baker. It's uh, he was. Oh yeah, I, yeah he I, was I, in oh, the yeah, original yeah. trilogy. Oh yeah, yeah. it's uh, was Dylan. It Re- how does he say is this Reese? Uh, Reese Eifens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's yeah. a super Freudian mind slip right there. <laughs> so unfortunately, we did not do a set visit. They were super. I don't think anybody. Yeah, did, they were super tight, closed, secret set. Plenty yeah. of people with uh, iPhones did, but yeah, we, but exactly. We so this week, uh, like you were saying, Chris, this week uh, we saw a bunch of uh, photos leak from the set, and it was of um, Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker talking to Doctor Connors, and yeah, the various different photos had various different elements in them. So one of them, uh, Doctor Connors. Uh, had like a green glove over his hand. Yeah, obviously he's missing a hand. So exactly. It, it stands to reason that um, that's probably what that is. I know there was a lot of rampant speculation about what that could be. but Yeah, some people were like, oh, is he going to have a lizard hand? And no, I'm like, no, I think they're going to just CG out his yeah, hand. Purely to take it out of the yeah. picture. Um, and there was another shot that showed like on his neck, there was a patch of his neck that was really scaly. So almost like he's in the midst of a transformation kind of. We're thinking that's just a giant hickey. <laughs> I was thinking to myself when I read that story, I'm like, dude, what if this guy just has bad skin, you know? And, and here we are, like, all like, oh, those are lizard scales, and he's crying. Like, uh, yeah. oh, dude, they noticed my acne. <laughs> like, oh, it's so bad. Uh, uh, yeah. so, That'd be amazing. Yeah. But uh, so what do you think of um, – how do you think they're going to portray the lizard? I mean, obviously, it's just, this is the lizard. I mean, it's Dr. Connors, and we're seeing these shots now. He's morphing to the lizard. Do you think it's going to be like my theory, for example, is it's, it's going to be this gradual transition that we see through practical effects. And then I think that the lizard is going to be all CG. Yeah, I think so. I, yeah, I mean, I think that's how they're going to go with it. The, the thing about the lizard is his, you know, his sort of like costume or whatever is pretty easy to, to generate. Mm-hmm. So they might actually have an actor running around in the, in the lab coat and all that stuff, and then just put the head and hands and stuff like that on it. Mm. But I don't know. I mean, it depends if he, like, bulks up during the transformation or or whatever. Um, I'm curious to see what else might be out there villain-wise in this movie, you know? Mm. Do you think it's just that one character? You know, I, it's it's been kind of murky right. with regards to that. And I, I know Spy Photo's... Haven't really revealed anything else, so it could be that this just is like the lizard story, which would be very cool as as far as I'm concerned. I think superhero stories are much, much better off when they have pretty much one villain. Right. And I right. think Thor kind of proved that too. I mean, the Destroyer was just basically a proxy right, right, of Loki. Loki. Um, and the first Spider-Man film was just the Green Goblin, you know? Yeah. And the second one was just, oh, uh, no, it was Dr. Octopus and then Harry, right? Didn't Harry go bad in... Yeah, but I mean, it was. Well, a, he doesn't really fight. Yeah, kind of. It was more of a. Yeah, it was more. It was more centered on 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 um, octopus. octopus. So, yeah, I mean, it could be cool. I, I I'm I'm hoping. I, I everything we've seen from this so far, everything we've seen from this Spider-Man movie, has been good. I think. Yeah. I I'm, you know, I know there will be people who disagree with me, but like, um, I, I'm pretty I'm pretty stoked on this, and I think it can actually like. Reboot that series in a, in a meaningful way after, like, you know, a lot of people hated 3. I thought it was okay. 
Subsequent viewings have made me think it's, <laughs> it's kind of like the episode one effect. Have made me think it was less good than it originally was. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm excited for Spider Man. Yeah, me too. Me too. That's next summer, right? 2012. Yeah, next yeah. summer. So um, you know, we'll probably be seeing some stuff for Spider Man at Comic Con this year. Um, I hope so, man. And, and and if not, I don't know where we'll see it. Maybe yeah. New York Comic Con. Yeah. Maybe yeah. we'll be moderating that panel. <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, so another another. This this one is my honorary stacks uh, news item. Because, Moving on, you know we got to talk about Dark Knight in every uh, every podcast. Uh, the Dark Knight Rises <clears throat> set there are set photos that leaked there as well, um, as well as uh, write ups in in th- they're shooting in India right now, right? Yes. So these set photos leaked from there, and then there were some write ups in a local like Indian newspaper that revealed something very spoilerific if it's true. So again. You might want to tune out for two minutes if you don't want to know anything uh, about and, Dark Knight Rises. And also, by the way, spoiler or not, we don't know if this is true. Exactly. So, like, exactly. This is maybe a spoiler, but we don't even know. And it's it's basically within the, the context of any conversation we'd have about this. Like, oh, what does this mean? Exactly. Okay. So you've been warned. So now uh, there was a green screen over basically a giant pit. Like, they made a giant pit the rocks around it and then this green screen and and we've confirmed that it wasn't the sarlacc pit <laughs> yes they've already made a statement to that effect. this ign has confirmed um and so this report in this indian newspaper was that it's actually a lazarus pit and that batman is thrown into it and that the shot is he's he's dropped he's dropped into the lazarus pit and then he's in there for a little bit and then he comes jumping out like bursting out almost like he was injured or he was dead or something and it revived him and then the actor who plays the young Ra's al Ghul was standing there watching now there's a conflicting report um, on batmannews.com that said no that's not a Lazarus pit and that wasn't Batman that was dropped in there that is a pit of venom which is the serum that Bane you know Mm -hmm. gets that makes him strong and that a young Bane is placed into it, and then he rises out, and he's standing before a, a young Ra's al Ghul. And basically the premise there is that, you know, he becomes, like, addicted to this venom like a drug, and that's kind of what makes him this fierce. And yet another theory is that it was a big vat of He-Man slime, and Christopher <laughs> Nolan was just repeatedly, you know, dunking his Adam character in there. Exactly. I, don't, I mean... <laughs> You know, here's the thing. Like, we've come to the point where we're fetishizing, you know, like, what gets dipped into what? Yeah. You know, <laughs> what does this green piece of fabric represent on the set? And it's like, there there will be no secrets remaining for this movie once it comes out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if it's a Lazarus pit, that's kind of cool. That means that gives, that lends a little credence to the Dark Knight Rises title. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, not that it needed more, but uh, and it, and it takes the story, the, the, the Nolan universe, into more of a comic book kind of realm, more if of you a will. supernatural. Yeah, which is why I kind of think it probably isn't that because I don't think in the third installment he's going to change the rules. Yeah, I think he wants to keep it. I mean, the only only way I think you could get around that is just by making it like really like it about mysticism and like mm. be- belief in yourself changing, you know. Your yeah. body's physiology, or something like that, but I don't know. It's 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 legitimately, you know, like going too far. <laughs> kind of like a ninja assassin when uh, Rain like is in bed and he's got all those gashes and wounds, and he kind of just self heals himself through the power of will. I've done that before, you know. 
I had this really bad hangover once, and I just sat there in bed and, like, willed myself to wake up. Oh, wait, no, that was this morning. <laughs> and every morning. <laughs> so um, here's one for you, Chris Carl. Dun, 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 dun. Piranha 3 double D. Okay, right now we're going to invent a piranha song. Piranha, 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 piranha. That's what I'm going to say every time piranha news comes up. Piranha, piranha. Oh, my God, I'm excited for this movie. Uh, I don't know. I think you need to work on that song. It's not quite Quantum of Solace. Piranha, 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 piranha. I don't know. Well, I think you're going to be more excited after uh, the news today that the Hoff himself, David Hasselhoff, joins the cast. Dude. This I'm cast is getting epic. Yeah. Um, Katrina Bowden's in it now, the uh, the um, blonde girl from 30 Rock, yep. um, who was voted, voted like the sexiest woman on, you know, the three universes by Esquire recently. <laughs> um, and then returning cast members, Ving Rhames, Christopher Lloyd, and Paul Shear are back as well. My man, Which, Paul Shear. Ving Rhames, though, didn't – I mean, I'm curious – didn't he get it at the end of, of well, not the end, but in in the big lake attack scene? I I don't remember honestly. I thought he I thought he went down. He definitely loses his legs at least. But here's the thing: in keeping with movies of this nature, like <laughs> it's almost cooler if he it did look like he horribly <laughs> horribly died in Piranha and then is coming back now. Um, like, oh yeah. What's yeah. up, bro? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe he'll just have really, really skinny legs. <laughs> oh, my God. That would be hilarious. I mean, that would be awesome. Or they give him, like, the Forrest Gump titanium legs that by the way, Lieutenant Dan has. By the way, guys, um, listening to the podcast, if you haven't seen Piranha 3D and you're a fan of just ridiculous, ridiculous movies like I am, you have to go see it. Or you have to rent it. Just, you know, I, it, it doesn't need the 3D I yeah. mean, but you'll you'll be missing out on some stuff we saw in the theater, but um it's it's like one that snuck through, right? Yeah, but yeah, but yeah. then <laughs> but it got to the theaters somehow and now this one's getting to the theaters. Well, I love it. Do you think that, I mean it, the only thing, I mean, I love all this, you know, I've been reading all that, and then Gary Busey got cast. He was the first one, right? And it's, it's like it's stunt like, casting. Yeah. But do you think they're just really dancing too close to that? There's one thing to be self-parody, which I think in a lot of ways Piranha 3D was. I mean, it was a ser- you know, it, it took itself seriously, but a big portion of it was parodying that kind of genre and premise and the whole spring break idea, really. Right. But now with this crazy, crazy stunt casting, do you get too close to, like, scary movie no, and, you no, know, that kind of no. stuff? No, every piece of new awesomeness that comes out about this movie <laughs> just makes it that much cooler. Like, and, you know, it's kind of like uh, we, when we talk about any casting, we don't know what roles these people are playing. And Hoff could be in there for two seconds, and yeah. it's just an event that he's in the movie, you know? So yeah, that's true. Hopefully, you know, I mean, I think it's going to be a mix. Um I like that. I like that. There's the Gary, the Gary Busey in there. I like that they got David Koechner in there. I mean, it's just like a fun cast. I think yeah. Paul Shear. They didn't give Paul Shear enough funny stuff to do in the first one, so hopefully he comes back and gets to do some funny. And it's awesome because in the in the deleted scenes of the the Blu-ray, I guess in the original script, there is actually a scene where his character gets killed. It gets <laughs> e- nice. He gets eaten by like a giant piranha, and, and it got cut from the film. Oh, nice! Um, and they didn't even render it. Like you know, they shot it, but I mean, I think very early on they realized, okay, we're not going to use this, so they didn't even like put the the CG in it. So, so this one's slated now for November, and November cannot uh, swim at us <laughs> swim at us fast enough. I mean, the premise is amazing, 
in a theme park, in a water park. Yeah. Come on. Jaws 3D style. Come dude. on. <laughs> Jaws 3D is like on loop, I feel like. On, I, like I feel like um, uh, Encore Action only shows Jaws 3D now. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, you know, this ties perfectly to another piece of reader email here from uh, Phil, uh, Phil Natchum. I hope I'm saying your name right. And the, the subject is, you know, dumb fun movies, basically. <laughs> um, and he says, hey, guys, love the podcast. You guys mentioned last week in regards to uh, the Fast and Furious franchise that some movies are just meant to be dumb fun, fun, and that's fine. Do you think it's okay that some of the most commercially successful movies are essentially forgettable? but mindlessly, mindlessly and momentarily entertaining. Personally, if a movie is described as, quote, good for what it is, then that isn't a good movie. I don't really understand why we can forgive certain movies for having cheesy writing and acting as part of the charm. Uh, if a movie isn't good, it isn't good. Sure, not everyone has the same opinions as to what makes a good movie, but I think anyone wholeheartedly agrees that Fast Five is a good movie, no matter how entertaining it might be. He does, but I don't think. I'm yeah. sorry, I don't think anyone wholeheartedly. Okay, I've got a total theory on this, yeah. and it, it you know, because it, it it ties in deeply to, um, you know, the sort of uh, duality within my movie going experience. You know, <laughs> I love really good movies as much as the next guy. You know, I will love you know the Hurt Locker as much as I love um, you know Sharktopus, and the reason for that is that you are not program just to like one thing right you know like you can like pop tarts and you can like a hundred dollar steak dinner you know (laughs) you can you can you can enjoy eating a snickers bar and then you can enjoy going to a restaurant and eating like a a 25 dollar dessert with gold leaf on it you know like you don't have to just define yourself in one category and i i think you know it's all art they're all films but then within the within the um you know, sort of rainbow of that. There's bad films and there's good films. And then we've gone further than that and gotten a little more meta. Bad films that are so bad, they're good. And then also, what he's talking about, I think, is more empty entertainment. Right. The reason that it's empty is I think it affects you on a physical level only, right? Your heart starts racing when you're watching it. You start sweating, you know, maybe. <laughs> you, you know, like, you, you get... You get involved with it on a physical level and not necessarily an emotional level or an intellectual level. There are some movies that engage you across all those. I think Inception was a movie that actually engages you on an action level, an intellectual level, and an emotional level. Less on the emotional level than the other three or than the other two. But something like Piranha 3D is maybe only engaging you in in a couple of ways. Like maybe you know it's it's physically affecting you in that. Okay, there's gore, so you recoil from it. Oh, and there's naked women, so you're you know slightly aroused by it. Or you know, it, mm-hmm. there's there's like other things that people things bring to the table. So a movie is like a total experience. But what that experience entails is kind of up to you, and also kind of up to your perceptions going into it. But I don't think you can kind of begrudge people taking whatever entertainment that they get from a movie. You know, life is hard enough. If you can find joy in your life, no matter who you are, by watching a film or listening to music or whatever, then go find it, man. Like that's, that's how I think about it. Yeah. And you know, and, and I think, you know, Phil is coming from a very, um, kind of critic perspective. Sure. I mean, that's a very much a critic kind of argument. Like, look, the movie's either good or not. You know, you can't, you can't, uh, say that drag, you can't give dragon wars, 
you know, a four out of five star film. You know what I mean? Even you though we did. Even though we, we did. We gave it five. Uh, but, you know, using using the rationale of, well, it's just dumb fun. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. And there are those movies, you know, like uh, I'll use Sharktopus as an example that I would I would say it's a horrible movie, horrible acting, horrible effects, horrible everything. It's kind of unwatchable in parts, but at the same time, it's so fun from a perspective of like just watching it like. I don't know. It just makes you feel a certain way. makes you feel like, and you can rip on it kind of while you're watching it. Yeah. It's just a different experience than anything else. So, you know, I've had more memorable experiences sometimes watching those movies than like, uh, like a three or four star movie. That's maybe got like better themes. And I would also rather watch a movie that affects me in some like extreme way than in something that just kind of leaves me like middling, you know, there's a bunch of movies like that where I'm like, yeah, that was, that was passable, but I'm never going to like go back and think about that again in a different way, you know, and, and things that were actually aiming for something else. Like he's thinking fast five, but I, I bet I would, you know, at least like fast and furious. I'm going to remember that more than I'm going to remember some things that like try to engage me in other ways. Yeah. Uh, so is like there English patient, <laughs> like yeah. I would way more rather watch fast five right. than I would watch English patient or something like the English patient just because I don't care about those characters and and if I don't care about the characters in a drama, then what's the point? Right, is there room in your heart for Birdemic? Birdemic is seriously probably the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> and I don't know that I'll ever watch it again, but I'm certainly very happy that I saw it. I feel like it, it added to my life in some way. If you guys haven't seen Birdemic, you can um, rent it. It's on Blu-ray now. I, I don't know, even know why, know. but like, you rent it. Don't buy it. Just rent it. Check yeah. it out. Get it on Netflix, and um, you will probably have seen then the worst movie that's ever been made. And be sure to have several drinks with you, yes. like beers or whatever, your buddies. Yeah. Or just Mountain Dews. <laughs> um, so, uh, I'm sorry. Like... That was a real rant, and, yeah, okay. and I'm sorry, Phil, if I, if I like chose your email to go off on, because I, I actually agree with you in some ways. I think that like um, you know, as critics, you do have a responsibility to kind of you know, present the case for a movie. Um, and, and often like when I, you know, when I re- review movies and it's few and far between now, I like to keep in mind like what the movie was attempting, you know, mm-hmm. and did they fulfill that goal? But then in, in addition to that, like how does it compare to other movies and, and, and what kind of person do you have to be to go enjoy this movie? Because if you're not like you, me, you might not like it. You know, I liked your highness. A lot of people hated it, yeah. including you didn't really like it. That yeah. Much. It wasn't a big, yeah. And so like, you know, it, 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 it's like what what are what are your like sort of field of preferences and, and yeah. how does it align with that? Cool. Um, so let's talk about another kind of big uh, um, controversial news item, and this is uh, uh, the. the the live-action Akira film, oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> which keeps getting more and more controversy around it. Uh, the latest bit is is casting news, and that's Keanu Reeves is, you know, I guess dancing around the lead role of of Kaneda in the live-action Akira adaptation. I mean, we haven't seen Keanu Reeves in a long time, and to see him in Akira, I don't, I don't know if it makes sense. Uh, we were having a conversation about this yesterday and putting him as Canada just moves the age curve up. Yeah. A um, lot. Tremendously. Cause they're supposed to be teenagers. Yeah. In the film. You know, and uh, I guess I made the point in the discussion yesterday that we weren't having on, <laughs> on mics that I don't know that Akira is actually a great thing to adapt for movies. You know, mm-hmm. the story is a little bit 
It's too uh, out there. You it's think? it's just a little bit hard. I, I think it's going to be a little bit hard for Western audiences to fully get down with. And I'm not talking about the people who already love Akira. You know, like mm-hmm. you know, anime fans. Yes, please feel superior because you know you can appreciate <laughs> this movie, and I, I do too. I do it with all kinds of stuff. Um, but I think that's what it is: is that people are like, well, you know, I love Akira. And it makes me this kind of person. I, mean, I think that everybody does that with movies, right? Like you, you like movies. It, it contributes to your identity, right? Whatever. Um, but the people who like that are not going to like the what they do to this movie. And the po- the people that they're changing the story of Akira for are not the people who. And I, I don't think they're going to change it enough to make it palatable mm-hmm. or even recognizable. So who's this movie for? Yeah. Like, it's not going to please the anime fans. It's not going to please the people who they're trying to please by making the story different. So, I don't know. Plus, I don't know. It's just... God. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not going to please the anime fans, I think, because they're they're way, way... Ch- I mean, not only the Keanu Reeves bit, but, I mean, they're setting it in New York, and, you know, it's, it looks like it's going to be pri- a primarily kind of American cast, and, you know, so they're going way off the rails with this adaptation, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's and yeah. I'm going to reserve total judgment until I hear everything, everything that's uh, that's coming down from it. But uh, I, right now, not amazing, not amazing stuff coming out of the Akira camp. And also, another thing to note is this thing has been in production hell forever yeah. and yeah. ever and ever. And usually, I mean, sometimes it comes out okay. Usually, when it's been around this long and and not made uh there's a reason for that and it's that it's hard to adapt it's hard to get you know a story that makes sense and i think that might unfortunately be the case with us yeah so another bit of kind of um controversial casting rumor if you will uh you know um there was the news last week that tarantino's latest is going to be a western um, southern (laughs) <laughs> like a sp- an ode to a spaghetti western, right? right. With uh, Django, um, and Django Unchained. Yeah, Django Unchained. And now news this week is that Will Smith is circling uh, the lead role of Django. Okay, so I actually like this. I didn't think I would, mm-hmm. but I kind of like it because it's time for. <laughs> I don't know. Selfishly, I'd like to see. Will Smith do something cool again, mm-hmm. you know, not just do the things that he's been doing. I feel like a lot of the stuff that he's been doing recently is samey. And, uh, <laughs> I was reading the comments for that piece and everybody's like, Oh great. Now he's going to get his kids involved. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I couldn't agree with you more. If the kids get anywhere near that movie, I'm going to be very upset, but, um, let's trust Quentin Tarantino a little bit. Like if he's truly going for, uh, Will Smith. It's not like, it's not like Tarantino makes bad casting choices. No, no. It's just that you know, it's he's supposed to play this kind of gritty ex-slave who goes, you know, on this kind of, you know, path of vengeance or retribution or you know, I mean, it's supposed to be. I don't know. It just sounds like a, a role that's too gritty for the Will Smith that I know. You know, I think it might be kind of that thing we were talking about in the last podcast where you can't watch Johnny Depp. And not see Johnny Depp anymore. Yeah, exactly. So it might be that, but I, Will Smith is a great actor when he's called upon to be a great actor. Um, if you guys haven't seen uh, Six Degrees of Separation, mm-hmm. um, 
it's a great, great film, and he plays a role that I don't, I don't think we've seen him play, you know, since then. He's mm-hmm. very, very um, good and kind of sensitive in that role, and and it's interesting that that was the kind of the, his entree into movies. You yeah, know? yeah, like he was Fresh Prince of Bel Air, <laughs> and then he was in this film, um, and he, you know, I, I think he's he's actually. People are going to laugh at this, but I think he actually did a really good kind of like dramatic job with Hancock for what that was. Yeah. Um, and I think he can do it. I think moreover, it's something that he needs for his career to be not the one dimensional thing that he's become. Yeah. So I don't know. That's my take on so it. So he needs the Tarantino reinvention. I mean, Tarantino's brought careers back to life he just needs an i I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that his career is dead dead. of course not or that he that he needs it in terms of like bringing in big box office dollars it could be a reinvention though for the kind of roles he does yeah a little bit more and i think probably people are going to call me out and be like no he's done like a superhero movie and a smaller drama and this and that Mm -hmm. but like i feel like his presence in a lot of these movies has felt the same and you know very noble Usually, even even Hancock, where he was supposed to be this like downtrodden, yeah. you know, cast out superhero, he was really noble in the end. You know, yeah, yeah. I am Legend. He was a very noble character in that, and I think he needs to. And he's probably going to be noble in this movie too, but he needs a little bit more edge back to him. I think mm-hmm. we need to see that like dirty beard creep out. <laughs> So speaking of dirty beards, uh, <laughs> nice and gritty characters. The let's go to the Expendables. Yes, the ode to action, eighties action machismo. I think we were talking about this. Uh, I, I wrote some um, some phrase on the and the with, with the original one that actually got picked up um, on some of their marketing. It was like if. Um, if testosterone mated with an explosion, you, <laughs> you would you have, would have the Expendables. The baby that would be born is the Expendables. So. I'm excited for Expendables too. Yeah, yeah. So we got a little bit more news this week. Uh, you know, the Cannes Film the Can Film Festival is going on right now. So I guess a poster uh, for Expendables two was released, as was a kind of plot synopsis uh, and or summary. Uh, I guess it's considered a spoiler, but I mean, you're going to be reading this. They're going to be using this in marketing and advertising materials moving forward. So um, consider yourself warned. Exactly. But I guess the kind of impetus that gets the team back together, the, the, the thrust of the story for Expendables 2 is that Mickey Rourke's character uh, uh, goes by the name of Tool in the movie, if you remember. <laughs> uh, he gets brutally killed uh in a mission in at the beginning of part two and so the guys kind of get back together to exact their revenge for for tool by the by the father of the little girl that he left on the bridge (laughs) yeah exactly and his daughter that we haven't seen we've never even heard reference to her i don't think in the first film she kind of goes out to seek her own revenge as well but then she gets kidnapped by the the guys that killed him and so the Expendables have to save her as well. Here's and there's the some thing. sort of like South American dictator involved and, and uh, some make-believe country. Who, who used to be on Dexter. <laughs> exactly. I <don't> know. <laughs> um, yeah. I, you know, that, 
as a framing device, whatever. <laughs> you know, who cares? I don't care what this movie's about. Yeah. I care about big explosions and lots of guns and lines like Remember the shit, shit at, at Christmas. Christmas. I was going to say, I just need to hear Terry Crews say that again. That was awesome. That was best line I ever. I think, in fact, this coming Christmas, <laughs> I'm going to write all my tags for the say, <laughs> I remembered this shit at Christmas. <laughs> so if you guys are lucky enough to get a present from me. Yes. He had the best weapon in that film, too. Remember it was like those exploding bullets? Dude. That whole that whole sequence, like you sit around for a lot of crap in that movie. Yeah, like, you, you do. Sit, you're sitting around for a lot of like kind of melodramatic, horrible and dialogue, unfunny, unfunny jokes. Supposed to be funny. Yeah, yeah. it's like watching Michael Bay comedy. Yeah. Um, but when that movie cranks up and they actually go on the mission and they start kicking ass, I think it like kind of. Then you're kind of like, I know why I'm here. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the last item I've got uh, to talk about news-wise is um, Warner Brothers – well, okay. Let's backtrack. So Tarzan. Um, <laughs> Ending on a high note, guys. Yeah. Tar- I actually am excited about this. Tarzan has been – another project that's ba- been bouncing around for a while now in Hollywood, uh, a live-action adaptation. And so Warner Brothers, I think, finally is like you know, apt to try and really make this happen. So they have – contracted out two different screenwriters to write concurrently two completely different takes on the film and they're going to go with the best one doing so, screenplays yeah 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 so what do you think about a new Tarzan movie live a new live action Tarzan movie um don't care how often do we how often wow. does this happen in Hollywood where like uh studios will come out to two writers and be like hey whosever script wins well, I don't know if it's that blatant, but I mean, didn't they do some of that with the Spider-Man films? I know that the Spider-Man films had like six different writers. At I think it probably point. happens more often than we know about. Mm. I, 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 I would, I would venture to guess that they do some like some sniffing around at screenwriters and be like, "Hey, give us a treatment or whatever." You know, I bet you at the treatment phase, it's probably like. You know, like all bets are off. You, yeah, you're gonna send it out to a bunch of people. But well, I mean, Marvel's notorious for that too. I mean, because what they've done is they'll integrate. So what they'll do is they'll take the best elements of various different scripts and like hire somebody to mash them together into one script. Okay, you know? so back to Tarzan. Um, if they can make it R-rated and and update a sequence of a Bo Derek-esque character running around naked for 45 <laughs> minutes in the movie, then maybe. Well, this is clearly, to me at least, this is clearly a response to, like, well, A, all the superhero movies out there right now, right? And and let's make another superhero movie that's not necessarily tied to a comic book, right? Because, uh, I mean, I, I got to think that Tarzan is probably, um, what's it called when it, the rights have elapsed and anybody can write mm-hmm. about him? Mm-hmm. Kind of like yeah. Sherlock Holmes. You know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I forget the I name right now. But um, So there's that. You know, probably a response to Conan, to That's rebooting. John Carter of Mars is over at Pixar, so, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, here's the thing. Conan isn't a proven quantity right now. Public domain, that's well, the yeah, name. Yeah. Uh, Conan isn't really, like, something that we know is going to work. You know, we, we know some of these superhero movies are going to work, but we don't know about Conan, like... It's been a while. It doesn't have Arnold in it. You know, it's like a new guy. Thank God he's in Game of Thrones and kicking ass over there. But, like, it's still kind of like, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, so, 
Yeah, I, I, I don't really know why the interest in, in Tarzan. I guess your theory for, like, superhero movies without real superheroes and franchisable movies is a good one. But I don't know how much people relate to Tarzan. Do you relate to Tarzan? I mean, I liked him as a kid. I liked that cheesy uh, live-action 70s TV show, which was, like, the most, like, white-bread Tarzan ever. How would you do it? Like, how would you do it and make it believable and cool? Because Tarzan is kind of an idiot, you know? He's kind of like... Well, I mean, not an idiot, but, like, he's raised by apes, and he doesn't communicate. It's like, are we supposed to relate to this guy? And then you're putting too much... You're putting too much kind of... um, uh, Not power, but... uh, focus on jane or whatever yeah yeah well i think it's got to be the whole environmental play right like the jungle that the jungle is being threatened and you know here's the thing the defender of the jungle apocalypto awesome movie right right set in the jungle dudes with their shirts off Mm -hmm. kick-ass action movie if they can make something like apocalypto with tarzan like where tarzan is going off and getting revenge on you know, people who killed his Poachers gorilla, you know, yeah, family yeah. or whatever. That could be cool, you know, but it, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to be a, a bunch of like, you, they're going to have to really establish that character to yeah. make it happen. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you know, we'll, we'll go right into a, another reader email. This is from Bryce Branson, who was not, uh, not too thrilled with our discussion of Conan last week, actually. <laughs> <laughs> He says, first of all, I feel like a real nerd doing this. I was listening to your most recent podcast, and some of your issues with the new Conan movie moved me to email you all. <laughs> I know you guys are movie folks and so and not as concerned with the source material, but saying Conan is a mumbling idiot just doesn't jive with the original stories told by Howard. <laughs> Arnold portrayed him in that way in the movie, but I think that has more to do with Arnold's acting abilities at that point in his career. Fair enough. <laughs> I was going to talk... Uh, about him a little more in depth, but I think Wikipedia covers covers it well, so I attached the relevant section from the Conan wiki page. Maybe the new version will be a, te- a step toward Howard's vision of Conan, and in my opinion, that is nothing but a good thing. Thanks for the excellent podcast. I look forward to listening to it every week. Well, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly that, um, and it, and it kind of goes back to the point I was just making about Tarzan, is that in order to really get behind the character, there has to be something more to him um, I don't think – I mean I don't really believe that Conan was a mumbling idiot in no, the Conan right. movies. And he definitely had emotional motivation to do the things that he did. But giving Conan more in, more intelligence and more um, stature is not a bad thing for this movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean it remains to be seen how that's going to play out on the screen. And right, if, right. Uh, you know what? One more piece of reader email. It ties into Big Brawny. Uh, actually ties into Arnold now that I think of it. This is from Valder, our friend Valder, man. He loves writing into no, us. Valder. Yeah. But he, he writes great questions, so that's I why I like that's, to read that's them. That's what happens, man. Um, so it's about Terminator 5. He says, hey, guys, with Arnold returning to the Terminator franchise with Justin Lin attached to direct, wouldn't it be possible and or cool if Vin Diesel and The Rock would join the cast? What do you guys think? Keep it real. I think that might be... I don't know about testosterone overload, and I don't know if those egos could all exist in the same movie. Yeah, you know, for a movie like Fast Five, or, or Fast and Furious in general, <clears throat> which are these teen movies, or at least they've set them up to become that now, especially with Fast Five, I think that that movie is all high octane, faster cars, bigger stunts, let's get bigger, badder dudes in it. I think the Terminator franchise, 
you can get too it can get overpowered by too many big names and big talent in it. Like having Arnold in it and a, and like Linda Hamilton, for example, in in part two, perfect, right? right. Yeah. Uh, I even think I mean there are several problems I had with Salvation, but having like Christian Bale and Sam Worthington and Anton Yelkin, who was off of, you know off of Star Trek, and Bryce Dallas Howard. I mean that's a lot of star power for a movie where really the robots and the effects should be. Kind of the stars. Well, I, I actually think that you know, T two was good because Cameron knows what to do with kind of archetypal characters, and as much as people rip on Avatar for being a story that is really cookie cutter and from you know like they've seen it a bunch of times, mm-hmm. it's also the the hero journey that exists in all movies, you know, the Joseph Campbell hero of a thousand faces. By the way, if you haven't read that book, you should go out and read it. It basically <laughs> breaks down the hero story as we tell it as right. a, as a, as a culture. Um, and shows that we've been telling the same story over and over again since pretty much the beginning of man. Yeah. Um, it's a really cool read, but, uh, you know, I lost my point. <laughs> now um, I got all sidetracked on Jeff, Joseph Campbell, and I lost my point. Well, so, Valder, I hope we answered your question. But I don't think we need all those actors in the. I honestly think what would we do with all three of those guys? They're all kind of of the same type, right? Yeah. And, and unless they were going to do um, more of a Marine thing, mm-hmm. which I've always wanted to see from Terminator, is like, let's let's take that small piece of the Terminator future that you saw mm-hmm. with the war going on, mm-hmm. and let's make that a movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, let, do Saving Private Ryan Terminator. <laughs> oh, wow. You know? Pit, pit uh, the Space Marines from Aliens against... That's essentially what those Terminator fighters are. Yeah. And you watch, the ships are all the same. Yeah, yeah. James Cameron's stuff, when he was ma- of, the, of the stuff that he was making in that era all kind of drew on the same technology <clears throat> and you could actually believe that the people from alien were also the people in terminator mm-hmm. um just you go back and watch terminator and aliens back to back and you'll see what i'm talking about it's pretty it's pretty amazing like the similarities to that stuff so hmm. all right well uh we're we're running out of time here so we should probably get to uh what's opening this week in our box office predictions um, <clears throat> opening this week is the manga adaptation uh, Priest, which is starring Paul Bettany and uh, <laughs> Moonblood Good. Um, then on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, you have a, ju- a new Judd Apatow uh, produced comedy Bridesmaids, starring Maya Rudolph and um, Kristen Wiig. And then a couple of movies in smaller release. Hesher is, is getting like a New York and L.A. release, and that's a Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Rainbow Looks Sin cool. Movie. If you yeah. haven't seen that trailer, go look at the trailer. Hesher is spelled H-E-S-H-E-R. Uh, another movie in Limited that looks pretty funny, but again, getting a tiny release. Everything Must Go. That's a Will Ferrell movie. You know? So anyways, those are kind of the, the, the titles hitting theaters this weekend. What do you think? So the real <clears throat> question is, does Bridesmaids beat Thor this weekend? Right. Can it beat Thor this weekend? I say no because Bridesmaids, um, you know, it's a comedy and it has all female leads. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, that, you know, that struggle at the box office with the exception of maybe Sex and the City, 
That's like the other example. And Sex and the City has more going for it than comedy. Right. Or less going for it than comedy, if, if, right. you know, depending on your view of that movie series. But I think horror is <clears throat> horror. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> wow. Talk about Freudian slips. <laughs> wow. Wow. Whizzle. Um, I think uh, Thor is going, to, is, is going to maintain at the box office, and I think it's going to see uh, um, a drop-off similar to um, Fast Five. I, I think it's going to be about half of what it made last weekend. So I'm going to say Thor at $30 million, and then I think Bridesmaids is going to come in at about – 25 and then priest i think is going to be maybe 15 but i'm going to say 12 wow i am yeah you know i don't think this idea of oh well um women have been dragged to the movie theater by their boyfriends for the past two weeks for fast five and thor so they're going to be dragging their boyfriends to go see Bridesmaids. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I honestly don't. I'll tell you what. Ain't no dragon when chicks yeah. know that Chris Hemsworth is in the movie. <laughs> well, I mean, not only that, I just don't think the guys will go. I think the girls will go to see it, but I don't think the guys will go, you know? It's so, also a rated R comedy. Right. And it's – so you take out the, the one of the huge um, movie-going segments, which is younger girls. Um, and so, you know – you're basically relying on clicks of women to go see this movie, right? right? So I may be totally wrong here, and I often am, but I'm going to say I'm going to go um, one, two, three. I'm going to say Thor at number one. I'm going to say again Fast Five at number two, and I'm going to say Bridesmaids at number three. And I'll give you numbers right now, but that's what I think my top three are going to be. Hmm. And I'm going to say Thor at um, $40 million. And I'm going to say Fast Five at um, $18 million. Holding strong. And Bridesmaids also at $18 million. And you know what? I, I think I kind of agree with you on Fast Five. I think it could actually compete for that third spot. Um, but I don't, I don't know that it's going to make – I said Priest at 12, so Fast Five might be about 15. So I'm going to change mine up because I wasn't – for some reason, thinking about that. So I think Thor, Bridesmaids, Fast Five, and then Priest in the fourth slot, if it gets the fourth slot. Yeah, I th- me too. Like, <laughs> Priest, fourth, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't think that thing has been tracking very well. Yeah, um, at all. It's weird to see a week in the summer, this early in the summer, where it's almost like a dump week yeah. for an action movie like that. Um, it seems like they're just kind of putting it in that slot, like, man, maybe this will work. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, Bridesmaids is actually going to benefit from that. Cause if there was another movie, like if, if Pirates was opening up against Bridesmaids, it would have no shot, you know, like, right. but it's going to, I think it's going to, you know, have a little bit of room to breathe this weekend. Cool. Well, uh, as always, let us know what you guys think. Um, you know, you can chime in with your box office predictions as well. If you're a member of Facebook, there's a, a, a listener of ours who's got a Keeping It Real Facebook uh, group uh, up up on the site, and, and he's always – Kevin pe- Lower. Yeah, folks are always posting to that and, and with their predictions and commenting on ours. So if you're on Facebook, check it out. Uh, if you're listening to, a, listening to us on, on via iTunes, be sure to – rank us and to help us move up there. Um, and as always, write in with your questions or, or leave questions in the comments if you're on IGN. And uh, if they're good enough, we'll read them, uh, read them on the podcast. Maybe even if they aren't good enough. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a good weekend. We'll come at you next week. I'll see you in hell.